If you come early, you will see these slides scrolling. And one of the slides says, silence your cell phones. And a way to think about that is, you know, put them away. Don't mess with them. Don't be, you know, going online or whatever while I'm talking. This is what this means. However, if you got your cell phone, I want you to get it out. Because what I want to do is I want to take a survey of us, okay? I want to take a survey of us and, uh, and just see how we're doing. Just see how we're doing. So I got, I got a question I want to ask you. Do you want to be a servant of the Lord? Yes? No? Not sure. You got this? Everybody got it? We're getting instant results. I want you to know this. Do you want to be a servant of the Lord? A, yes. B, no. C, not sure. 94% of you say you want to be a servant of the Lord, and 6% of you say you're just not quite sure. Nobody had the guts to say no. Well, that's okay. Now, before, that's, that's a high number. That's huge. That is huge. But I just got to tell you what this means. You realize if you want to be a servant of the Lord, you have got to deny yourself, right? Like, it's not about me. You've got to surrender your life to Jesus. You've got to come under him as your master and say, I'm not going to be living for myself. I'm going to be living for him. I am his slave. I am his servant. Okay? You got it? I mean, this is serious stuff, honestly. So I want to take the test one more time. Text it again. Remember how serious this is. A for yes, B for no, C for not sure. Go now. Okay, some of you changed your answer. That's, that's understandable. But hey, 88% of us say, yes, I want to be a servant of the Lord. And 13 of us in here, not quite sure. Well, given, given that response, I want to talk to us about what we can look forward to as servants of the Lord. We're in this series entitled Power Couples, and uh, we have been looking at the power couples of the Bible. We, we heard about Adam and Eve, we heard about Abraham and Sarah, we heard about Isaac and Rebecca, we heard about Ruth and Boaz, we heard about Nabal and Abigail, and this morning we're going to hop on over to the New Testament and we're going to hear about this power couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth, or some of the English translations take that original Greek language and, and translate it Zechariah. So it's either Zechariah or Zacharias, it's the same guy, and Elizabeth. This couple were servants of the Lord. I mean, the, these people, they were sold out to the Lord, but that's not what they were mostly famous for. Zacharias and Elizabeth, you remember the, who they were the parents of? What? John the Baptist. The parents of John the Baptist. So let's meet this power couple. If you have your Bibles handy, you can go to Luke chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 5, otherwise you'll see the text up here. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias, or Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. Abijah, by the way, was a descendant of Aaron, so... Uh, so was his wife Elizabeth, a descendant of Aaron, as we see. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we got Zacharias and Elizabeth. He was a priest, and he was living during the time of Herod, king of Judea. Let me just tell you that Herod, king of Judea, was an evil guy. 
He was extremely oppressive. Uh, he was under, of course, the seizure of Rome, and Rome was known as the Iron Fist. This was really, really an oppressive time. Herod was known for his evil deed after Jesus was born. Uh, he went into Bethlehem and killed all the little baby boys, two years old and younger. Remember that story, some of you? I mean, this guy was a bad dude, and God struck him down in 4 B.C. Just wiped him out, killed him. But Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were servants of the Lord. Look at verse 6. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. They lived under the requirements of the Lord. They lived to serve the Lord. And we can learn from them, first of all, that as servants of the Lord, what we can experience. We, they, they experience some serious stuff, and just like them, I think there are three things that we can be sure of. We can be sure of, first of all, that we will experience, just like they did, disappointments. That as servants of the Lord, we will go through life and experience disappointments. Look at verse 7. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. You know, sadly, in Christian circles, uh, we have this mindset that if we obey the Lord, if we live according to His requirements, we will be blessed. And when we define to be blessed, it means that everything in life is going to go pretty well for us, or that life will be pretty smooth, or that we'll be happy, right? That we think that if we serve the Lord, if we are servants of His, that we're just going to be, you know, we won't experience disappointments. And this couple served the Lord. I mean, they had a wonderful reputation. They were righteous in the sight of God, it says, walking blamelessly among the religious leaders. Now, you may remember, some of you, that during this time, the religious leaders were not very blameless. Matter of fact, when their son John grew up and Jesus was there, they were calling the religious leaders brood of vipers. This, this was, they were living righteously among these other leaders that just weren't. And yet... Zacharias and Elizabeth also lived with disappointments. In that society, if you didn't have any kids in your family, you were looked down upon. You were shamed. They knew what it meant to be shunned in the world. I was uh, talking to an old friend of mine from Illinois about a week and a half ago, and uh, <clears throat> just just uh, his daughter actually asked me to call him that he wasn't doing very well, and I called him up. And, uh, you know, he told me, he said, you know, Jeremy, ever since I gave my life to Jesus, my life has been nothing but one disappointment after another. And he kind of listed it, like my wife left me, and she did years ago. Then he had a girlfriend and found that she was cheating on him. He started this business, wanted to kind of honor God with the business that he started, and he said to me, it's not making any money. I'm not making any money. I mean, I don't even know if I can stay afloat. And he just did not see God as good, even though he's committed his life to, to God, and this is, you know, the thanks he gets. So I got a kind of a point-blank relationship with him where we can kind of shoot straight with one another. And I said, well, when has God ever promised you that everything was going to go great? I mean, think about the people in the Bible, right? Think about Job, of course. You got the Old Testament guy, Job. I mean, things didn't go really well with him, and he was blameless before God. He was righteous before God. Think about the apostles. I mean, the apostles had struggles along the way. 
And the apostles ended up in a bad way. And I could have included Zacharias and Elizabeth here for him. But how about us? Do we feel disappointments in life? Or do we feel disappointed with God? You know, like maybe, maybe you've wanted a baby. You and your spouse wanted a baby and it's just not happening. Or maybe that marriage that you thought you signed up for didn't actually turn out the way that you thought it would. Or maybe you've wanted to be married and it just has never happened for you. Or maybe your kids, you know, you, you have this picture of what your kids are going to turn out to be like. and It just doesn't seem to happen that way. Or maybe you have these dreams about life that start to fade. Or your career goals aren't what they, you thought they would be. And the list can go on and on. To think about being a servant of the Lord. If we're in it for the perks, then we're in it for the wrong reasons. To be a servant of the Lord, it doesn't mean that everything is always going to be up and to the right for us. We have to realize that as servants of the Lord, we can and probably will experience disappointments. And yet at the same time, as servants of the Lord, we can and will experience God's graciousness in our life. Watch the hand of God's grace working in the lives of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Verse, verse 8. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, you've got to realize that this is a once-in-a-lifetime deal for Zacharias. When a priest would go to burn incense, he would never be able to do it again the rest of his life. So this is a one-time shot. This is a huge, huge deal. And he goes in to burn the incense, and the whole multitude of the people were, were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense burning. Now, let me just help us get a visual as to what's going on here. I have a picture of Herod's temple. This is in Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, today's Super Bowl Sunday, right? You do know that. You, Scott knew it. Anybody else? This is an American football field right here, size of one. This is the size of this huge area. I mean, it's quite large, maybe three to four times larger than a football field. And uh, the people are out in the courtyard praying. So the, the Jewish people are right here. See, Israelite courtyard? They're right here praying. And Zacharias then gets to go in to burn the, the incense. So you'll notice this number four says the altar of incense. We can zoom right in there. And it's right in front of this little area, which is the Holy of Holies. So he is able to go all the way in here one time in his life and burn incense at this altar, the altar of incense, before the Lord. This is a huge deal for him. And then look at verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. What is that? Give him the name John. Like, such a common name. I mean, why, why would he say, give him the name John? I mean, why wouldn't he pick kind of a fancier name? Well, back then, meanings of names really meant a lot. And when he said, give him the name John, 
he understood, the angel understood what the name of John meant. And it really has a twofold meaning. One for Zacharias and Elizabeth, and one for the Israelite people, and actually for us as well. On the one hand, the name John means one whom God has graciously given. This is the blessing to Abraham, or I'm sorry, to uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. That God has graciously given them this little boy, even though they're advanced in years. But John also means Yahweh, or God, is gracious. That he acts in gracious ways toward us. Has he acted in a gracious way toward you or toward me? I mean, let's just get right down to the basics. We, we have a roof over our heads, right? We have food to eat. We have people who love us. Every good and perfect gift is from God. We uh, have our sins forgiven. We know salvation. We have eternal hope. I mean, I could go on and on. And he would give Zacharias and Elizabeth not only a little boy, but he would give them gladness of heart because he's so gracious and good. Look at verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then he quotes Malachi verse, chapter 4 and verse 6. To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Servants, of the Lord. We can expect disappointments, but we can expect God's gracious acts toward us, just like he acted toward Elizabeth and Zacharias. And yet, those gracious acts aren't just about just gladness of heart. They aren't just about positive, you know, exciting things happening. God can give us his graciousness also by the testing of our faith, that he can test our faith. Zacharias's faith was going to be tested because here he was just told they're going to have a little baby, but like he said, we're getting old. <laughs> Verse 18, Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Here's this righteous guy, right? Picture this, he's righteous, he's and he's got this once-in-a-lifetime deal. He's burning incense at the altar of incense in the holy place right next to the Holy of Holies. And lo and behold, this angel appears to him, and he's talking to him, and he's telling him what's going to happen. And all of a sudden he thinks, wait, how do I know that this is actually going to happen? Here's a guy who is righteous, and yet he struggled with faith. He struggled with belief. By the way, I think we can run the risk of when God is working, sometimes we have a hard time seeing the forest from the trees. I think that we sometimes struggle. We can become callous toward God actively working in our lives. I saw it in my friend when I was talking to him on the phone, like you're seeing things all wrong. It's, it's not true the way you evaluate things. Clearly, as I know his life, God was protecting him and providing for him even in the midst of the disappointments. 
you know, I've been noticing lately that I've been having conversations with people more often than, than normal that uh, they're explaining to me what's happening in their lives. And, and I, I say to them, hold on a second. There's two things going on here. One is that we observe what's happening in our lives. And the second thing is we interpret that which we observe. And it's in the interpretation that we can get off track. It's in the interpretation that we can be wrong. So I want to offer this to us. Maybe, maybe in what we see, when we see things that we're really not that happy with, maybe, just maybe, it actually isn't that bad. That maybe God, by his graciousness, is testing our faith. Because through the testing of our faith, he wants to mold us. He wants to shape us. He wants to rough, rub off those rough edges. Matter of fact, go with me to James chapter 1. James happens to be the half-brother of Jesus. And in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, Consider it all joy, my brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow 88% who want to be servants of the Lord. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Zacharias was heading into a time of testing of his faith because God wanted to make him more complete, mature in what it means to be a servant of the Lord. Go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 19. Let's continue hearing this story. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. By the way, the priests would serve from Sabbath to Sabbath. So in those seven days, when those seven days of service were done, then he went back home, and he'd come back and serve again, but not for a little, bit, not for a little while. Verse 24, After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months. By the way, there's speculation. Why would she go in seclusion for five months? I think there's really nobody that has a good explanation, so I'm going to give you mine, which is super good. Maybe she's somewhat introverted, and she just likes to have that private time with God. That's really what she loves. Because listen to what it says in verse 25, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. You know, not only was Zacharias unable to speak, but as we get to verse 62, when we get to verse 62, it appears as if he couldn't hear also, like he lost his hearing and his speech as well. Quite a trial. But what trials have you faced? What trials have I faced? What causes us stress? And then how do we interpret those stressors? You know, hardships are there to test our faith. 
to grow us to be more like Christ. To produce in us, as James wrote, endurance. It's a long run. It's a marathon. It may be a lifetime of a trial. But let that endurance have its perfect result so that we might be perfect or that we might be whole and complete, lacking in nothing. As we go through those trials and those tests that we cling to Jesus and we say, Jesus, mold me, shape me through this challenging time. Shape me into the man or the woman that you want me to be, the boy or the girl. That people might truly see that I am your servant. And that we would shine for him in our lives. Well, Zacharias and Elizabeth had their little baby boy. Uh, Go down to verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. So now we're going to see through Zacharias and Elizabeth not only what we experience, but secondly, as servants of the Lord, what the Lord expects of us, that he expects of us certain things. And the first thing that we're going to see is that he expects us to shine for him. He expects us to shine for him. Reading on verse 59, And it happened that on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father, but his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made, a sign, and they made signs to his father as to what he wanted to call him. By the way, notice they had to make signs to him. They couldn't just ask him, like, well, what do you want, him, want to call him? They had to make signs to him. So this is where I think he was hard of hearing or lost his hearing as well. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all, the, all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in, in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And the hand of the Lord was certainly with Zacharias as well. Everybody was thinking, Ah, you know what? They're going to just name him after, after Dad. I mean, this, is, this was the tradition. This was society. This is, of course, what, what's going to happen. And yet Zacharias... And Elizabeth said, I don't care what society says, I don't care what tradition says, we have got to obey God first. Even though everybody around them disagreed, the thought was, well, we're not going to go with what society expects. Would, that, would people say that about us? Would they say we shine for Jesus? I mean, they may not put it in those terms. They might say something like, you know, there's something about her that's just different. Or they might say, even a little more specific, you know, like, he, he, he's pretty spiritual. He's a pretty spiritual guy. Or maybe they'll say something like, uh, you know, whatever you've got, I want. You ever have anybody reflect on who you and I are and they see us as servants of the Lord? We should not, must not, keep this to ourselves. Jesus put it this way back in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He said, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, 
nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and, it's light, uh, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, uh, when I was growing up at our Shepherd Lutheran Church in Greendale, Wisconsin, my Sunday school teacher taught me a little song to kind of tell, teach me how to, how to shine for Jesus. And maybe you were taught that song when you were little as well. If you are thinking the song that I'm thinking, that you've got to start by holding up your finger. Everybody? Anybody that remembers this, you ready? How does it start? I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. Everybody, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Get ready with the basket. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Boom, boom, boom. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Yeah, that song, and there's others, you know, don't let Satan poof it out. If we're going to be servants of the Lord, then He expects us to not kind of keep this a secret, but to let our lives shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Next, if we're going to be servants of the Lord, then He expects us to walk with Him. He expects us to walk close to Him. He expects us to interact with Him. Look at verse 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and he first talks about Jesus in the first part of this prophecy, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. Redemption means to set his people free. Verse 69, And he raised up a horn of salvation for us. By the way, the horn is a symbol of strength and power, so this powerful salvation for us. In the house of David, his servant, Jesus was a, was a physical descendant of King David. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, a quote right out of Psalm 106, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You know, it only makes sense that if Jesus set us free, you know, if he redeemed us from our enemies, like, you know, the spiritual forces of evil, the pull of the world that isn't of God, sin in our life, he freed us from judgment and condemnation, he freed us from uh, hopelessness, he freed us from all those things that are destructive to our lives. If we say that we are his servants and we want to serve him, as 88% of us said we do, pretty much all of us, that 13, were like, I think so, I'm not sure. Then notice at the end of verse 74 again that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. All of our days, not just on the good days, but in the hard times as well through the disappointments in life, and through seeing God's gracious acts toward us. That we would serve Him, walk with Him, without fear. Because 
He loves you and me. Kyle taught us that new song earlier, and he was saying how he got married, and, you know, things really, I mean, what he's saying is, I just, why this song touches me is because I just know that God really loves me, really. I mean, he just has been blessing my life. As that song says, that God is a father of kindness, and that he pours out his grace toward us, that he is a giver of mercy. Faithful is he, and faithful he will always be. I mean, who wouldn't want to walk with him, really? Well, finally, if we're going to be servants of the Lord, then he expects us to witness for him. Not just shine with good works, but use our mouth to tell others about him. We must walk in step with him. Walk as a witness for him, just like John the Baptist was a witness. Zacharias then turns to his little baby boy, and he prophesies about his future, and he starts with a very specific prophecy about his life. Look at verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his way. Yes, John the Baptist was to be the prophet that would prepare the way for the Lord. But then the rest of this prophecy really overlaps with our life as well. Verse 77, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. Notice sunrise is capitalized. That Jesus himself will take us out of our darkness into his light. Verse 79, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. How are you doing at steering people toward Jesus? I mean, not just showing people our good works, but having a conversation about Jesus. That Jesus came to redeem us, to rescue us, to set us free from the bondage of sin. Have you told someone lately about Jesus? Have you told them that only Jesus can pull them out of their darkness into the light? Have you talked about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? That he died for our sins and rose from the grave to give us eternal life? Have you shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus? Have you had spiritual conversations with anyone lately? Well, actually, let's take another quick poll. Can we do this? Get out your phones. Real quick, and open up that same text. You don't have to re, uh, re go into it, just you're ready for A, B, and C, the same answers. And here's the question that I want to ask you In the last two months, have you been a witness for Jesus? In the last two months, now nobody's going to see what you're going to write, be honest. Have you been a witness for Jesus? Have you used your mouth to tell somebody about Jesus or have spiritual conversations with them? Yes, no, not sure. Everybody log in your answer, hit send. Everybody set? How are we looking back there? About ready? All right. Five, four, three, two, one. How about that? Here's our answer. In the next slide, you'll see it. The last two months, have you been a witness for Jesus? See, it's real time. Ooh, what's it going to... 
Okay. There it is. Like God wanted for John, he wants for us to be his mouthpiece in our day, in our community. We must build bridges with people because people all around our area are sitting in the darkness. And we have to shine Jesus on them to tell them that it's Jesus who will take them out of their darkness and into his light. We are called to guide their feet and guide one another's feet into the way of peace. So let's get our heads around this a little bit. God is calling us to be his servants, just like Zacharias and Elizabeth. And 88% of us said, I want to be a servant. I want to be his servant. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the eternal God is calling us, little old us, to be his servants. The God who is eternally good wants us to serve him. And we know from what we've heard this morning, we're going to experience the testing of our faith. It's going to be rough at times. We're going to know disappointments. But we're also going to know his graciousness in our lives, that we're not in this by ourselves. We don't have to do this alone. He sends his Holy Spirit in us to help us, to be his witnesses, where that 55% of us will ramp up to the same 88% that says, I want to be a servant. He's calling us to serve him. And all we have to do is just run into his arms and say, I am 100% yours. I'm 100% your servant. Are you in or not in? I don't have to take a poll on that one. That's between you and God. I'm telling you I'm in, and I hope you join me.